0: I'm Aaron O'Toole, and welcome to another episode of Durham Past and Present, exploring the people, places, and events that make Durham and our area so interesting. Today, we're fortunate to have one of Clarington's preeminent historians with us today for another interesting episode of Durham Past and Present. Mino Van Dyke has lived and worked and served in the community for many, many years, and in the last few years, he has really helped citizens across Clarington and Durham connect with their history. Mino, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here today. Now, tell us a
1: bit about your background here in Clarington and in the Durham region. Well, I was born in the Netherlands. We immigrated to Canada in 1951 and uh, settled in the Brooklyn area. And then when I got married to Judy in 1972, we moved to Bowmanville and uh, started our life here. And shortly after, I joined the uh, Bowmanville Police Department uh, the year before regional government. And then uh, after that, of course, it became Durham Regional Police, and I served here for about 26 and a half years as a police co- police officer. Um. So my interest in history started uh, certainly with uh, the local community and with policing. And in 1988, I wrote my first article for the uh, Canadian Statesman, and it was called "Land Rubber at King and Temperance. And it was a story about a 1961 Studebaker police car. And uh, because I, I'd been in the Studebaker Club for many years, uh, I thought this was pretty interesting. And so that was my beginning. And then uh, when I retired uh, 20 years ago, um, I started doing some investigative stuff on policing in the community. So I wanted to write some stories about policing in Bowmanville, about policing in Newcastle, and policing in uh, Orno. And that sort of got me started. And in order to do that, I went into the Historical Society one day in Newcastle. I walked in. And saw a couple of old guys sitting there, and uh, I asked them for some information. I thought they would get up and go to a filing cabinet or started looking up, but no. They sat there. It was Ken Stevenson and another fellow named uh, Lyle. Anyway, they said everything I needed to know out of the top of their heads. And I was so impressed with this. And I joined the Historical Society, and it wasn't very long before I was one of the old guys. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're passing it along. And in recent years... Um, you've shared a lot of the
0: really interesting stories on the pages of The Clarington Promoter. Yes. Often on the front page, uh, you've written about a dozen of those historical uh, columns for The Clarington Promoter. We're going to talk about one in particular. Um, my favorite of the dozen or so you've written for Jim, The Clarington Promoter, The Farmer and the Statesman. Yes. Um, certainly there's a political uh, element to this story, but even more fascinating, the politics It's a local prominent family story, but let's start off with uh, the farmer out of The Farmer and the Statesman. Who was
1: Fred Wellington Bowen? Well, he lived on the north side of uh, Third Concession of Clark, just east of the Wilmot Creek, and he had quite a successful farm there. I think he was mostly into cattle, and he had 150 acres, short horn cattle, and uh, his grandfather Great-grandfather purchased land there in 1835, so the family was there for a long time, making him one of the earliest settlers. In 1914, he went into local politics, became a counselor for the township of Clark, and he kept that position until 1918 when he became Reeve, which was sort of like a mayor today. <clears throat> and then he made a big political jump in 1921, and he ran and won in the federal riding of Durham. Initially, Durham County had two electrical districts, east and west, and that was changed in 1903 to one. And so he, did, he ran in 1925. Uh, Bowen ran for re-election. He won, of course, early in 1921. In 1925, he ran again, and this time he faced a pretty formidable opponent.
0: He did. So he won for context, and certainly why I'm cheering for the farmer here, like I always do, <laughs> Mr. Bowen was a conservative. So he was a conservative member of parliament in his first term. In 1921, you said he took a big jump, going from Reeve of Clark Township, uh, became a federal member of parliament, conservative. But in 1925, he was facing the prominent figure from the Massey family. Now, before we get into that, uh, you're going to let us know a bit about Massey, but Canadians would know Massey Hall, Massey College at the University of Toronto, the, the Massey Lectures, All emanating from the Massey family, Massey Ferguson, the famous tractor and farm implement maker that really helped build the Canadian agriculture sector, was famous in in Western Canada, Ontario, around the world as Massey Ferguson. Um, The Massey family has its roots in Newcastle. Give us a bit of context
1: on that. Well, in 1847, they started, they bought a little blacksmith shop foundry down at Bond Head and realized pretty quickly... That wasn't the place to be so Daniel Massey he moved north built the factories in Newcastle built quite a large factory for today and before long it became the largest agricultural implement manufacturer in the country and so that grew from there his sons took over the business and uh, Chester Massey of course was one of them and they stayed there until 1879 by 1879, they had so many contracts for, for, um, for their products that they couldn't build them fast enough. And so they had to leave. <clears throat> the reason they had to leave is because of a number of things. The railway line didn't come to their factory. They didn't have gaslight. And most important of all, they couldn't find enough employees because there was no go train in those days for buses <laughs> to take people to the factory. So they moved to Toronto and left Newcastle in quite a little dilemma with this factory at that time, 150, 160 people working there, which was a lot for a little village with less than a 1,000 people. So they clo- when did they close the...
0: 1879. 1879 and mm-hmm. moved to Toronto and they had... A large homestead in Port Hope as well, but they in kind Canton. of left their origins here they did. in in Durham and
1: in Clarington, yeah. um, and moved moved to Toronto, moved to the big city back right. then. But they kept their home in Canton, which is just north of Port Hope, and they kept that, and that's eventually where Vincent was living. That's right. And so in eighteen in nineteen twenty five, they decided to that uh, Vincent would run. As so liberal, he, had, he was
0: going to be the liberal candidate, one of the star mm-hmm. candidates yes. for Mackenzie King who recruited Vincent to run. So, as you said, the late 1800s, this probably the most prominent family uh, in in all of Durham. Absolutely. Um, but they left. There's still the Massey, uh, Massey House Restaurant in Newcastle. There's a, there's the Massey Hall they built in Newcastle, yep. and we'll get into that in a minute. But they had left town in the late 1800s, but there, the prominent Vincent Massey was running in 1925. But before he ran... The family made a return that
1: many many people think maybe was a precursor to the political run. I'm sure they did. Because in 1922, at the end of 1922, all of a sudden, Chester Massey rolls into town and says, I want to build the most magnificent hall here in this town. And he did. He built this fabulous building, brought in professional architects, and a building that included not only a hall, but it included a movie theater, included a library, included... Uh, township offices or the, or the village municipality offices uh, include a post office and all these things altogether. Mason's Lodge was upstairs and beautifully done and spared no expense. And I'm sure the, the citizens of Newcastle wondered what the, why would they do that? It's amazing after all these years, you know, because now you've got another generation that didn't even remember when, when the Masseys left town. But a couple of years later, a lot of people, a little light went on and said, hmm, maybe this is why. <laughs> <laughs> they, they built it because Vincent was about to get ready to run. Yes. You
0: know, it is, for those listening, the, the Massey Hall, as I call it, the original Massey Hall in Newcastle, community the, hall, the, the community hall. hall, is still there. My sister had her That's wedding true. there. Yeah. We were bowling for the Big Brothers Bowling. There's now a bowling alley in the basement. Yeah. So it is certainly a lovely testament to it the families. Is, and our history.
1: society is there, too. And there you been go. been there for many years. So, yeah.
0: But... They built the hall, so the family was once again widely recognized Absolutely. in town. But how was Vincent Massey returning to run against Fred Bowen
1: in 1925? How was that received? Well, he showed up one day, apparently, and uh, he had his Fox coat on, Fox fur coat. He had a Packard car. He brought a little entourage with him. He'd had some very nice professional... Um, uh, signs printed up that said Massey for Durham and again if you think back this was pretty well unheard of in a community like Newcastle in this area in that time for people to have election signs hmm. and he posted up these beautiful signs with nothing but his photograph in the middle Massey for Durham on the front apparently he got a hammer and some nails probably got someone else to do this I hammered up a few signs around the the community hall and turned around to his entourage and said that should do it let's go back to Canton and the way they went in their Packard car back to Canton <laughs> and I think what happened was is that all of a sudden when people saw these signs they took it the wrong way They thought, why this is a crazy expense because that this would have been unheard of back in those days for people to have all these election signs and they thought this is probably what's going to happen if he's elected he might just be spending money like water and of course in the end uh, when the votes were counted, Bowen continued the long conservative tradition of the riding and won by a majority of about a thousand votes, which was a lot for that area. So that was
0: so really the star candidate of Vincent Massey, um, the Cadillac campaign we would call it now. And this is days before Cadillacs. Yeah, but sure. You would say that hurt him. You know the the yeah. prominent. Uh, uh, name the wealth and and the signs and this sort of modern campaigning hurt him over the local
1: farmer who had been the Reeve and was more of a local local yeah, boy. Absolutely. Yeah. And so he but but uh he we returned back, I guess the prime minister said, you know what, we're gonna still appoint you. So he appointed Massey as minister without portfolio. But a According to a lot of the books I've read, Massey felt very uncomfortable with this, and he resigned shortly after his appointment. And in 1926, he became Canada's first minister to Washington and remained there until 1930. In 35, he was appointed high commissioner to the United Kingdom. These were, these were incredible jobs, really. And after the war, Massey held a number of esteemed positions, including chair of National Art Gallery and chancellor at the University of Toronto. So by 52, though, uh, he was he was appointed a, a very unique position in that time, the very first Canadian to be appointed to the post of Governor General of Canada. Mm-hmm. Since then, everyone who has been Governor General has been a Canadian. Mm-hmm. And that's how I think most people know Vincent Massey,
0: is that... Uh, that First step as a Canadian being the the head of state in lieu of of, of our Queen or the Queen's representative in Canada, um, and the tradition of Canadian governor generals that started with Vincent Massey. Mm-hmm. There's a school here in Bowmanville named for Vincent Massey, yes. not because of his 1925 election <laughs> loss, but no. from because of his time as governor Absolutely. general. But let's go back to that for a minute. Is there was there any sense on why King was uh, so in you know? Resolute in making him a part of the cabinet. He was minister of portfolio. Was it just his business experience? Was it just the prominence of the family?
1: Uh, any idea why he wanted him in his cabinet, even though he sure. lost the election? Yeah, I, I think it's because he, he was a prominent fan. But he was also, Vincent Massey was also um, well connected. He served his country in the First World War as director of the repatriation committee. And uh, he was also assistant secretary of the Dominion War cabinet. So I'm sure uh, Mackenzie King. King had all kinds of interaction with him as well, as the fact that this is a famous family and so on. But again, he was a highly respected man, and uh, I think that was probably the the basis of it. This this was just a great guy, and he wanted to have him in there on his team. Well, what's interesting, and many Canadians may not know this, is
0: the Prime Minister can appoint someone to his or her cabinet that is not elected, but constitutionally they have six months to either get a seat in the House of Commons or be appointed to the Senate. So you mm-hmm. can be in the upper house in Parliament and in Cabinet. Right. Um, before I got to Prime Minister Harper's Cabinet, uh, Senator Marjorie LeBreton was a member of the, the Cabinet from the Senate. Uh, the f- famous General uh, Andrew McNaughton was appointed by Mackenzie King mm-hmm. uh, later on to Cabinet and then lost to by-elections right. and had to resign from Cabinet. So many ways, Massey was... Not only uncomfortable um, being an unelected minister, he likely, we don't know, but likely said no to a Senate appointment, um, which would have been the option for him to be a parliamentarian. But he was also the first formalized uh, minister to the United States. Our our diplomat, um, uh, he brought it to a higher level than
1: previous ambassadors to the Mm -hmm. United States before. He was very highly thought of, and he traveled all across Canada and, you know, certainly promoted Canada, and promoted its diversity at a time when this wasn't really that highly done. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, he was an incredible guy, and he he actually moved back in 1959, he moved back to his estate, Batterwood, which was just north of Canton. It's still there, it's a beautiful little place. And uh, he continued to chair the, the Massey Foundation, which again was donating money for various causes. And he was made the first Canadian to receive the Royal Victorian chain from uh, Queen Elizabeth in 1960. So he was a great statesman, a great philanthropist. And uh, he was given a state funeral when he was when he was buried. Uh, he died in England in 1967 while he was visiting there. So yeah, uh, in 1926, after the Parliament was dissolved, Fred Bowen was re-elected for a third term to the... House of Commons, and after politics, Fred and his wife, Alma, continued farming there on on the third concession. Uh, The Pasco family live there now, today. And, uh, yeah, they sold the farm to the um, Allens, Allen family, and there's still lots of Allens around. And uh, Bob Allen and his wife, Esther, lived there for many years, built a new house beside it, and uh, that property is still there. And every time I drive by, I think about, you know, well, what would have gone on in the family house when, when the, the day he he beat Vincent Massey in that election must have been an incredible feeling for him and uh, and the community too the the bait the day the farmer beat the statesman
0: yes <laughs> um, it, it's a remarkable story Mino, and it and it what is lovely about it is I love certainly the the underdog conservative tri- triumphing over the handpicked <laughs> prime minister's guy but there's also a huge positive with Vincent Massey, who Absolutely. went on to do incredible work uh, in yeah. the United States and in the United Kingdom. And then as our Governor General, the Queen's representative, yeah. um, uh, passed away in our centennial year. Um, yes. And now, as I said at the outset, um, even the Massey lectures each year on CBC, Massey College, where my friend, the former Senator Hugh Siegel is now... The, um, the head of Massey College at the University of Toronto. So their legacy is still there. Absolutely. And you brought it home in your story, The Farmer okay. and the Statesman. So Mino, this is going to be the first, I hope, of many uh, Durham past and present podcasts. I look forward to it. Featuring your program and, and your your work. For those of you listening, if you want to learn more about Fred Bowen, the farmer who triumphed over the Statesman, or Vincent Massey, And to read Mino's uh, original article, The Farmer and the Statesman, tune into my website, erinotoolmp.ca, where you can see more materials related to this podcast uh, and to the two primary figures. And please uh, sign up for the podcast. I have Durham past and present, uh, and I as well have Blue Sky. So the Blue Sky is a little more political, if you like that side. The Durham past and present was really about celebrating the amazing people, places, uh, and events that make Durham so special. So once again, Mino, thank you for being a part of this program and we look forward to having, having you back here on
1: Durham Past and Present. Thank you. Thank you Aaron. I enjoyed it.